uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Not joined by Colby Powell. Colby's taking the week off. He's on a little bit of a vacation trip. He takes more trips than I do, but uh, I need to get on his level. But joining me now is Marshall Scott. Uh, what's your title, Marshall? Owner, editor, emeritus? What's the what's the what's the title now that you uh, own and operate Pistols Firing? There are uh, tax forms that I've had to fill out in, in recent times, and a uh, porter sometimes put president. I like to put CEO. It makes me uh, sound oh, yeah. a little bit more official than I am. But uh, but yeah, any any myriad of uh, of titles would work. Yeah, with great power comes great uh, responsibility. That is paperwork. You've uh, you've got a crash course in uh, in operating a business with all the paperwork. It's ta- it's almost tax season, really. Yeah, it uh, th- it was kind of like I don't know. It was kind of the worst time to take over a, a sports uh, business with it being the end of football season, the beginning of basketball season, and then it's tax season and then you're in a pandemic. So um, it's been a, it's been an interesting time um, on the business side of it, to say the least. Well, I definitely want to get into that, how it's been taken over for Kyle. And uh, we obviously have to talk a lot about the Mike Boynton contract that just came out yesterday. That'll be a majority of what we discuss. But first let's get to Chris university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris university Spirit. Com. They've been sponsoring the podcast since Kyle was owning and operating things, and they've stayed with us with with Marshall, and we're we're very appreciative. And they've been just such a great partner and, and a company that, I mean, we all believe in. I mean, they're a they're a local company there in Stillwater. They're synonymous with the school, just being down the street from from Gallagher Iba. So, no no one else we'd rather partner with than Chris University Spirit. So be sure to stop by if you're going to a baseball game in town in Stillwater. Uh, be sure to. Sh- Stop with Chris University Spirit.com and Chris University Spirit. So Marshall, I appreciate you joining me, filling in for Colby. Uh, you do a great job. It's it's been a lot of fun watching how you've just taken the reins from Kyle. And I, I want to get into everything PFB, but first let's let's talk about the big news of the week. I mean, Mike Boyton, we were kind of wondering how this contract situation would play out. He was asked about it after the the, the final game in the NCAA tournament against Oregon State. We, what was your sense, Marshall? You're there. You you cover more games than just about anybody up there in Stillwater. You you have a real uh, finger on the pulse of, of Oklahoma State. What was your kind of sense leading into this contract in terms of how you thought this would play out, and and just your reaction to the news? Yeah, you know, it's obvious that Mike Boyden, you know, loves Oklahoma State. He does all the right things like that. But I was just kind of worried maybe about the the money aspect. You know, if a school came in and offered him, you know, a million more dollars than Oklahoma State was was willing to offer him. Um, I'm not sure that anybody would be able to turn that down. So I, I thought that there was a good chance that he would stick in Stillwater, um, but I just wasn't sure if, you know, a Syracuse opens up or if a, a South Carolina opens up the, the checkbook for him. Um, those were kind of uh, areas that maybe concerned me a little bit, or maybe, I don't know, maybe something crazy happens like a, a Duke or a UNC opens up after retirement and, and they just have all this money and they, they see that he's a coach who can recruit and he's young and stuff like that. So there were, there were a couple of, uh, couple of schools that I was like okay well you know the Indiana one was interesting but then it came out that you know they kind of already had um, plans in place to hire a guy so a couple of interesting things like that but then I'd always kind of thought all along that Oklahoma he was going to come back to Oklahoma State um, and it's you know good on the administration I kind of wrote about that yesterday good on the administration for for you know paying the money and, and getting this done. Yeah I mean that that was the big worry is a repeat of you know, the, the coach he coached underneath, Brad Underwood. You, you were worrying about 
you know, some school like Illinois, where they, like they did with Brad Underwood when they were in contract talks after one season saying, you know what, we'll pay you $3 million. And Underwood probably took that to Mike Holder. I was worried a little bit about a situation like that that you mentioned where a school just, you know, drops the bag, $4 million, four and a half, who knows? I mean, the, the salaries for college basketball coaches are going up and up and up every single year. And so that was my concern too. I just, I got the sense that he loved it in Stillwater and that certainly appears to be the case, but I think it would have been really interesting, Marshall, had the South Carolina job opened up. The school that he played college basketball at did Mike Boynton. Obviously, Frank Martin was, his situation there was a bit up in the air. A lot of people thought that job might open up. I do wonder, you know, and it's funny, Marshall, I was putting together a story for Channel 5 last night, kind of using some of his introductory press conference footage. And I was kind of going through our archives and I kind of stumbled upon a soundbite about South Carolina because they, they played the Gamecocks recently. And I was like, well, what did he say about South Carolina? So I clicked on it. And one of the first things out of his mouth was, I know everyone on that staff. My wife knows everyone on that staff, their wives. Like he was talking so much about all the connections he has to South Carolina and the, and the, co the current coaching staff there. That would have been a pretty seamless transition for Mike Boyden. And kind of looking back now that he's signed a contract, it's not a biggest concern, but that raised my eyebrows a little bit. He has a lot of ties there. So I think that situation was uh, a little dicey in terms of if that job came open. Yeah, he, uh, he, I don't believe his wife is from there, but they met uh, there. Um, she was a nutritionist while he was um, on the, on some sort of the basketball staff. Um, so yeah, that was definitely um, a point of concern for Oklahoma State fans is, you know, South Carolina just had a bad year. Um, who knows what's happening to Frank Martin. And I thought it was interesting um, in his tweet that he put out um, shortly after all, you know, Oklahoma State officially announced that he'd resigned it. He said, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, nurtured, nurtured in Columbia, South Carolina, but this is home, um, you know, referencing Stillwater. So I thought it was kind of interesting that he even kind of gave a little tip of the hat uh, to Columbia there. Yeah, it was like, uh, love you guys, but I'm, I'm here to stay. So that that was that was a really cool tweet. And it was kind of cool seeing all the stuff that OSU put out yesterday, him signing the contract, uh, some of the videos they put out. But uh, you wrote a, a column on, on pistols firing, three thoughts on the contract extension. I wanted to go over all three with you. Uh, the terms is your is your first thought. And, and you're not wrong here. You said, I, I saw some Travis Ford PTSD folks saying the seven years were too many, which I heard some of that too on the radio as well. And to me, I didn't have a problem with it. I want to get your thoughts on it, but just my take was that's kind of, you know, Chris Beard signed a six-year extension and you can argue, well, he took his team to the national championship game and that that's certainly valid. I just think that's kind of the way you you extend these contracts these days. If you extend it three or four years, you're right back in this situation very quickly. And, you know, you're having to give a big raise again, or someone's coming in to over, you know, over, overbid you there towards the end of a contract where the buyout's not as much. So just kind of give me your, your take on, on the seven year terms and, and kind of what you wrote. Yeah. I think that the seven years, I thought it was like a pretty good middle ground uh, for everything. I think, you know, as a coach, you want at least four that's going to kind of be used against you in recruiting. Whenever you're recruiting guys as young, uh, uh, I just offered a, uh, 2024 kid from Bartlesville uh, this morning. So, you know, you, you kind of need the years to recruit long-term a little bit. And then I thought, you know, I thought that maybe whenever I'm kind of like running these numbers in my head that I'm not in control of, I was thinking maybe somewhere, you know, he'd earned somewhere around like 3.2 million. So I think with the extended years, um, you know, you're getting, you know, you get him at a cheaper price, I guess, in, in air quotes, $3 million, still a lot of money, but 
So I, I thought it was a good sweet spot kind of for both parties. I think it worked out well. Yeah. And I was kind of concerned they could get to the 3 million, honestly, with obviously the pandemic is, is one thing, but Oklahoma state just doesn't quite have the same budgets as, as other schools in the conference. I was, I was kind of surprised, frankly, that they got them up to three. I thought maybe they would get them up to two and a half with some, you know, big incentives in there to get them up maybe closer to three if he has a big season. But I was pleasantly surprised that they, they had this type of money to, to pay him because we all know that the issues that schools are dealing with, but uh, I was kind of worried a school could come in there and pay him the three that OSU couldn't. So I, you wrote that, uh, you know, Boynton's now, and I think this puts it in perfect perspective. I thought you summed it up well, Marshall, that you know, the deal puts Boynton around number 25 in coaching salaries nationally compared to where he was at 65. That, that feels right, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I, I did like the average of, of the Big 12 coaches at some point uh, whenever I was kind of first talking about um, his salary. And it was somewhere in the, in the low threes. And so I, I think, you know, getting him up to about Big 12, you know, he doesn't need to be, you know, the top guy in, in the Big 12. But to get him at least to the average and he was so below um, the average there with, with his contract, which was, you know, justified. He was a new coach. Um, he didn't have any, you know, head coaching experience, things like that. But but yeah, I thought, you know, getting him around there to the average and, and you know, if you if you're a little worried that you're paying your power five basketball coach top 25 money, then, you know, kind of what does that say about you as a fan base uh, if you if you can't even get him in the top 25? So I think that that was, you know, again, kind of the sweet spot for everything. Yeah, I mean, it's hard when <laughs> it's so skewed when we compare him to like Big 12 basketball coaches, because I believe. Uh, I believe every coach in the league except for perhaps Steve Prom and Mike Boynton have made an elite eight. I think that's right. Bill Self definitely has Huggins, Smart, Kruger, Drew. Weber made one the last time they had the tournament before the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically Steve Prom and Mike Boynton are, are the only two coaches in the league that haven't made an elite eight. That that tells you just how stout the coaching pool is in the big 12 so it's always hard to compare you know where mike was coming in as an unknown assistant to the salaries but now he's he's certainly back up to where you know he's earned it i mean i think that's kind of why he was paid what he was paid he had to come in and earn you know that that respect and and that that salary and marshall also in my my uncovering of the archives uh, the introductory press conference is, is a great watch <laughs> on terms of Mike Boynton getting hired. He was very emotional. I put some of that in my story, but I also found this clip from, from Mike Holder, just, just dunking on the media. I put this out on Twitter if people want to go look at it, but he was saying the media is in my inbox, questioning our commitment to basketball with this hire. And that's not the truth. So, you know, Marshall, I don't, I'm sure you were just like everyone else when, when Mike Boynton was hired and that we didn't know who he was. I, I didn't, I literally couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. And so I questioned the hire. I called it uninspiring. I called it cheap. Uh, I called it all those things because I didn't know anything about Mike Boynton. And clearly, and we had him on this podcast right after he was hired, did Kyle and I. And after we hung up the phone, Kyle and I were talking, we said it on the air too, but we were both just kind of talking amongst ourselves. Like I'm all in, I love this guy. So clearly that's what he did in those regent meetings, Marshall, to win over the people in terms of getting the job. And, and I think we've seen that play out just in, in Stillwater, in the program, everywhere else. This guy just continues to win over people. And that's that's something that Michael obviously saw. Yeah, there was an interesting story. It was somewhat recently. I think it was before maybe entering the Big 12 tournament. Uh, somebody kind of asked him about his hiring process again. 
And uh, Boynton said that Holder told him afterwards that he actually had a bad interview. And I was like, well, I have no idea what a Mike Boynton bad interview would seem like because, you know, he kind of always says the right stuff and always says the right things. But yeah, going back to, uh, you know, whenever he was hired, it was just a lot of like who I didn't even personally, I was, uh, you know, I was writing for the Ocali. I was on the basketball beat, but I didn't even know he was on the staff if we're honest with each other. Um, I, I thought if it was going to be an assistant, um, as bad as it sounds, that it was going to be Lamont Evans. Um, and, you know, Boynton obviously said in the thing, you know, he, he could be this guy right now. And, you know, they obviously shared um, a friendship that has since been a little uh, wacky, but Lamont Evans was kind of the only assistant that I knew on the staff um, from writing a story about Leighton Hammonds that I did. So uh, yeah, it was a really big kind of who moment, but, you know, he's proved literally everybody wrong uh, to this point. Yeah. It's been unbelievable just and, and and he had to start winning games I think obviously getting Cade helped and getting the first tournament wins since 09 that really kind of culminated everything that we we liked and knew about this guy I mean he I said in my piece Marshall like he had the highest approval rating of any coach I can remember that had a losing big 12 record I mean that 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 literally is just the sheer force of personality he had and and the wins have followed and, and your second thought on your column is you know not only have the wins follow with with Cade Cunningham is he made OSU basketball cool again. And I think that's a great point by you because it hadn't been cool in a while. Obviously, the the Travis Ford era was just so frustrating in a, in a lot of ways with terms of recruits leaving, never finding a big man, the way the Marcus Smart deal played out, finishing eighth in the conference, Marcus's second and final year at OSU. So he's brought back the Curse of Cowboys uniforms, which I love, Marshall, but you, you kind of spoke a lot about how he made OSU cool again. Yeah, and you can kind of see – you know, his build uh, through his years, you know, he had that first year where he kind of had uh, more so Travis's guys than Brad's, uh, you know, with Jeffrey Carroll, he brought in Kendall Smith, um, the Mitchell Solomons, and, and they had a little good run, you know, they beat that, uh, that Trey Young team uh, a few times at the end. But then, you know, then he kind of had to start his rebuild. Um, he brought in Likely's class, and Likely's the only one left from that class, because he wasn't, he wasn't going to be content with, you know, some pieces that might not perfectly fit. You know, he had to kick a couple of guys off the class. You're an A, whenever the scholarship, I can't say scholarship sanctions together. I try that all the time. <laughs> it's a tough it. one. Yeah, but you're an A, whenever, you know, all those sanctions uh, came down, you know, he wasn't all the way in. So, you know, it's kind of just like a see you later. Um, then he brings in that Avery Anderson class with, you know, the Boone twins and Chris Harris, who I think is going to be really good whenever he can get healthy. Um, and then obviously this most recent class with Kate Cunningham, who's, you know, one and done, but then you've got, long-term guys like Rondell Walker and Matthew Alexander Moncrief and Donovan Williams, who I think is going to be kind of like a Jeffrey Carroll um, like thing, you know, Jeffrey Carroll redshirted his freshman year. Um, and then his last few years in Stillwater, he was really um, pretty dominant. So I, I think that, you know, you can kind of see the build happening um, and they were young this year, you know, they probably, I don't know. I don't want to say overachieved with, you know, the, the number one draft pick on your roster, but um with how young they were, it's Cade Cunningham and a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, really, um, with Isaac Likely and, and Bryce Williams, who, you know, just transferred in. So I think that the exciting part about Boynton is that you can see the building blocks kind of, you know, being laid down piece by piece. And, you know, he needed to be paid for that because he needed uh, – Oklahoma State needs this to be to be seen through. You know, if, if you restart now, then, you know, who's leaving, who's going where, and kind of what pieces are you left with. So I think the, the a really fun part – about Boynton's tenure so far is that you can see the progress being made year by year. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And some people questioned that when I was kind of talking about the hire and that 
you know, you're, you're getting that, that age old, well, let's see what they do without Cade Cunningham. And my point was like, he, he's clearly built a program here. I mean, you just look at what Avery Anderson turned into at the end of this season. I think they're going to be just fine with him running the show. The Boone twins, obviously, uh, Alexander Moncrief, I think is a real piece. Rondell Walker, I think is going to be such a good college basketball player. He's built a program. And I think the most exciting thing about Mike Boynton for me is he's kind of following the Scott Drew trajectory here. You know, when Scott Drew took over at Baylor, he was inexperienced. I didn't think he frankly was a very good coach. I think Mike Boynton's shown far more to me X's and O's wise than than Scott Drew did when he first took over. But at a certain point, Marshall, you just start stacking these recruiting classes on top of each other like he's currently doing with the guys we've referenced. It all kind of takes care of itself. And that's what we've seen at Baylor. He just continues. You just start building a program with recruiting class on top of recruiting class to where you look around the Big 12, Marshall. I mean, OSU is going to be one of the more talented rosters year in, year out, at least for the next couple of years with the way Mike Boynton's recruiting. That to me is is proof that he's building a program. Yeah, you know, the cool thing in, in, in college basketball now is to be old. You know, it used to kind of be the John Wall Kentuckys or even the, the most recent Zion Duke things, but, you know, that, that, that Duke team, it didn't pan out in the tournament. So the cool thing now is being old. And right now, Oklahoma State is young, um, but you can just, like, a Avery Anderson as a senior, oh, my goodness, you know, like, things like that. Um, so, yeah, the, they're getting older, which is is awesome. I lost my train of thought, but – you can see the build and that's what's fun. And I've kind of, I've kind of had that thought about, you know, Oklahoma state right now is kind of like a young Baylor um, in that, you know, they, they've got guys who, who can play defense. Um, they need to work out on shooting. And then, you know, they have their, their star, um, you know, Jared Butler, Kate Cunningham uh, kind of deal. So I think that, you know, what Boynton has right here is kind of a young Baylor team uh, that in a few years, whenever it's, you know, it, it can be that Baylor team, that's probably some lofty expectations, but, you know, you get a four seed, with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, uh, maybe by the time that those guys are, are juniors and seniors, they're a, they're a two or a one seed. No, I, th I think the comparison's totally valid. And you're right about the rangy, athletic, long, kind of defensive type roster he's built is very similar to some of Scott Drew's teams. And all of his successful teams in Waco, they had these long rangy athletes like OSU currently has, but then they had just a prolific scorer like a Lace Darius Dunn, a Tweedy Carter, I think Avery Anderson can be that guy alongside all the rangy athletic dudes he's he's acquiring. And and that's what's encouraging too, Marshall, is Mike Boyne's not slowing down the recruiting trail. I mean, he's he's chasing big fish. He has already proven he can land one. And I think that that further illustrates why I believe, you know, there's been a lot of talk, Marshall, this week with the Texas job opening up, the Oklahoma job opening up, which is kind of the hierarchy of jobs in the Big 12. I would always argue that Oklahoma State's in that top three because of the tradition, the arena. When I mean, Boynton and Underwood got that place sold out when they had losing records. I mean, that just shows you the thirst for basketball in Stillwater. But I just, I just think the job is is really good in that you can land the number one player in the country. And OSU's done that twice in the last 15 years. They got Gerald Green, who was the number one recruit in the country, and obviously Cade Cunningham. So. Just do you see kind of Boynton, how is his recruiting shaping up for the next couple of, of classes and covering him? Yeah, it's been interesting um, in the 2021 class. They're actually the only uh, Big 12 school without a commit in the 2021 class. But there's a couple of reasons, you know, that's, that's pretty jarring right off the rip. But there's a couple of reasons. One, you know, they have the sanctions. Um, you know, what exactly is the scholarship scholarship situation found another two words I can't put together. <laughs> um, what exactly is that situation moving forward after the appeal? 
Um, do they get it down to maybe they just lose one? Do they get it down to where they don't lose any? Or maybe they still lose three. So that's kind of a an interesting thing where, you know, it, it's hard to recruit like that. And then Boynton's also mentioned that this year's been really hard on him in terms of recruiting because he likes to, you know, be hands-on with the recruits. He likes to go and, and, and learn about them personally, you know, in a face-to-face kind of manner. So he hasn't wanted – he Boynton himself kind of hasn't really committed um, necessarily to any of the guys yet. Um, and then obviously with the, the pandemic, you know, you got your eligibility waiver. So, you know, a Bryce Williams could come back and, uh, you know, then maybe you don't even really need to bring in a freshman at that point. Uh, so the 2021 class has been interesting. I think that they will probably pull out a transfer. Um, you and Colby were talking about, uh, my list from, uh, on last week's show. So I think that they could probably pull out a transfer this year or two and then and then moving forward you know he's you know obviously offered <laughs> he offered a kid from Bartlesville who dropped 42 points in a game as a freshman um this year in six-day basketball and you know that's pretty impressive uh he's recently offered a kid from Dell City who's a he's a sophomore right now I believe 2023 he's a big long kid he's already 6'9 and like 205 um he's got a pretty muscular frame so that's an exciting prospect that you know if one could keep in state that'd be awesome so yeah, he's always going to be, you know, I've, I haven't yet to, to really experience somebody at work, Mike Boynton. Um, so in terms of recruiting, he's always going to be right there with, uh, with good players, if not great players. Well, I just love how he's, he's really kind of starting to dominate the state, the in-state recruits. I mean, the Boone twins was a huge coup. Obviously, I mean, the, the kid from Kingfisher's going to Oklahoma, but that Dell City team beat my alma mater at Memorial in the state championship game. So if they have a sophomore that's already that big, I think that's a great way to go. What's the kid from what's the kid from Bartlesville's names dropping 42 as a freshman? Do you happen to know uh, that? David Castillo, I believe okay. his name. Um, I'm not sure if you uh, – I'm not I've, sure exactly. I don't cover the Tulsa schools very much, so I don't get to see them as often. But, man, I mean, that's – I just love that he's really kind of putting a lock. You know, Rondell Walker, another in-state kid, he was able to land. He's really starting to – kind of get a foothold on, on the state from, from Oklahoma, which hadn't been the case for, for a lot of years in state. Obviously, OSU does better with the Tulsa kids, but, but that's, that's certainly exciting. Okay, last thought you had in your article uh, was the administration, which I think was a key aspect of this. I mean, the, the Chad Weiberg announcement came you know, about a month earlier than, than this contract came out in terms of him taking over from Mike Holder. Obviously, this was Holder's guy, but Chad Weiber did a good job to, to lock him up. That obviously was his priority one, two, and three when taking over. Yeah, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, you need to pay Mike Point this money. But if you don't have the money to pay him, then then I don't. So that they were able to find that money, I, I, again, really don't know who should get most credit for it, if it should be Mike Holder, if it should be Chad Weiberg. Obviously, they probably had – they both had some say in it. Um, but, yeah, I, I threw in the, the same Presti quote that, you know, scared money don't make none. And that, you know, Oklahoma State is going to – recover from this pandemic more with a full basketball arena and a coach that they're paying more as opposed to an empty basketball arena and a coach that they're not paying as much. So, you know, I think it was a necessary um, expense for a power five program to have, you know, the best basketball team that it can, you know, the, the cash cows of college sports are football and men's basketball. And if you can get both of those, you know, football's kind of churning itself out at this point with, with the consistency that Gundy's had. So if you can get that basketball program up, you know, to the level that it once was, then that's only going to be better for, for the rest of your athletic department. Yeah. I mean, the, the scared money don't make none really stands out. Cause I think that's what happened with Underwood. I think 
coming off the heels of the the Travis Ford deal. It was only one season with Underwood. I think there was some scared, scared money in that situation. And obviously Brad Underwood's a hell of a coach. I mean, the job he's doing at Illinois is, is pretty incredible, but uh, I think, I think it worked out for both parties because obviously OSU was happy with, with Mike Boynton and the job he's doing and well-deserved again. I, I did not see this coming. I, I didn't see this season coming Marshall. You, you covered it. I mean, I thought they were going to be pretty good. I mean, obviously with Cade Cunningham, he could lead them to to certain places they hadn't been yet, but the run they went on at the end of the year, beating all of those top 10 and, and ranked top 15 teams, all the quad one wins, let's call it. I didn't see this team going on the run they, they went on. It, at the end of the year, Marshall, coming into the NCAA tournament, I mean, they were they were a trendy Final Four pick, and had they gotten a better draw, maybe like Texas's draw, I think they uh, they they could have made a run like that. Just did you see this this team playing this well this late in the year? I mean, it was kind of came out of nowhere for me. Yeah, you know, you know, whenever they were kind of struggling to put away Oral Roberts earlier in the year, I was like, oh, and then in the Wichita yeah. State, who you know also turned out to be a pretty good team. So, yeah, I. I Another fun part about, you know, we, we talk about him, Mike Boynton kind of building, you know, the program, you know, kind of brick by brick. This season kind of got built brick by brick. You know, they kind of had their struggles early on. Obviously, the start of Big 12 play didn't go how they wanted. But as Mike Boynton teams tend to do um, late February, early March, they really kind of hit their stride. And, yeah, the, the tournament, you know, kind of was what it was. They were able to win a game against a bad matchup in a Liberty team. Um, and then they just weren't able to, to hit shots against a, a long – um, Oregon State team who couldn't miss any shots so it was yeah it was like I kind of said earlier it's it's hard to say that they overachieved having Kate Cunningham on the roster but but going into the year I was like hey if they you know make the tournament and they get a win in the tournament then I think that this will be a successful year um, and kind of looking back at it you know hindsight's 2020 in, in regards to losing to Oregon State uh, but but yeah I think that overall this will be one of the most successful years obviously in a long long while. Yeah, that's that's how I viewed it too. I mean, it's disappointing losing to a double-digit seed in Oregon State. The bracket really opened for them, but I, I I totally agree. I said too before the before the really before the even season even really got started was, you know, just get to the tournament and win a game, and then you can breathe a sigh of relief because it's been since 2009 since they won a tournament game. So they did that, and I don't know how you feel about Marshall. I I think the blow softened a little bit that Oregon State went ahead and beat Loyola and made it to the Elite Eight. It it's kind of like that situation where Marcus Smart and them lost to Oregon, and then Oregon made a, a real deep run that year. It it kind of validates you know you didn't just lay a complete egg against a scrub team. I think Oregon State's a good team. They they're a matchup problem like you mentioned with their length, their size has given a lot of teams problems, especially Loyola. And, you know, Maurice Kalu turned into J.J. Reddick for a night. You just got to kind of tip your cap, you know? That's, that's yeah. kind of the way I look at it. I, I tweeted out uh, a couple of days ago. It's like, have, has, like, you know, kind of the national perspective on conference power ever been more wrong this year? You know, the Big Ten, who was supposed to be outstanding, definitely stunk. Um, the Big 12, even to an extent, Thanks. after we were, yeah, after we were done pointing at the, uh, pointing and laughing at the Big Ten, turns out the Big 12, maybe not that great either. Um, and then the Pac-12 is getting, you know, 11 seeds into the <laughs> Elite Eight or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, it turns out Pac-12 just pretty good at basketball. And honestly, their whole little quadrant of that region was a tough matchup. The Liberty team who like to play slow, tough matchup. Um, Oregon State, long, can shoot, um, kind of invited Oklahoma State to shoot, which is something that they're not great at, tough matchup. If they would have had to play Loyola Chicago with that big man, tough matchup. If they had to play Illinois with uh, Kofi Coburn, really tough matchup. So y- you and Colby kind of talked about how 
bad they got screwed in terms of their draw. But yeah, it was that was going to be a tough uh, situation for them to get out of, get out of regardless of who they played. Um, so it, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it it really wasn't as bad as maybe it seemed with the uh, eleven seed beating the four seed. Yeah, I I agree. And I let me defend the Big Twelve for a second. I mean, they didn't really play up to their seed. I mean, who who really failed here? Uh, obviously, Texas let everyone down because they're Texas, and that's typically what happens. Uh, West Virginia, I didn't think should have been a three seed in the first place. Uh, OSU obviously losing as a four to a twelve probably didn't play up to their seed as well. Other than that, I mean, Tech loses as a six. Uh, I guess Kansas got run out of the gym by USC, but I, I think USC has been the best team in the tournament, not named Gonzaga by all the offensive metrics and just the, all the, you know, all the statistics you could possibly look at. So I, I think the big 12 did okay. I thought the big 12 was underseeded. If they, if they had those seeds that the big 10 got like Iowa getting a two, if OSU gets a two, I think they're still playing frankly. So I, I thought the seeding probably hurt the big 12 as much as anything. Yeah, and we like to, uh, you know, point and laugh at the NCAA quite a bit, too, because they like to, you know, do things to Oklahoma State. But uh, it was a tough year to even make the bracket. Um, obviously, Oklahoma State should have been a three seed at least. Uh, that didn't make any freaking sense at all. But, you know, whenever you have all this, have all, the, you know, these data points of teams just really playing in their conference, you know, with, with the COVID-shortened schedules, you know, you didn't see many um, conference versus conference matchups. Um, so it was kind of a tough year to kind of determine, you know, who actually is better. Uh, but yeah, then points, you know, take that away because Oklahoma State should have at least been a three seed. Yeah, they they got hosed, which they they typically do every time the NCAA committee is involved. So I, before we talk a little bit about PFB, I wanted to bring up, you know, the women's hose job. You know, I mentioned this on the podcast with Colby, but what? how in the world, explain this to me, Marshall, how OSU's women – finished tied for second in the conference. They ultimately, I think they're three seed in the big 12 women's tournament. Even if they had like lost in the first round of the women's tournament, they shouldn't have gotten eight seed, but they made it to the semis. And they, this is how laughable it was that they, they got an eight seed Marshall. They played Stanford to what a nine, they lose by nine to Stanford as an eight seed. Stanford goes on to play Missouri state who was, I believe was like a four or a five. And they beat them by like 30. Does that not just show you how miss how underseated OSU was? They play Stanford to nine, despite all the horrible calls in that game. And then a five seed gets blown out by like 30 by Stanford. Doesn't it just show you how how, how bad they got hosed? Yeah, the women's team was kind of getting disrespected all year. You know, they they went on a big run of uh, at the start of conference play. I'm trying to count it: one, two, three, four, five, six. Started in conference play six and zero, oh, and they just couldn't buy a a ranking. So that, that, you know, they've, they've been disrespectful and I don't, I don't get it at all because it's not like they don't have a recognizable face on their team. Natasha Mack, she's going to be a top five, you know, WNBA draft pick. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of like, I think, I think I'm not very versed in women's basketball, but I think it's kind of like, um, you know, football and that the, the helmet sticker means a lot um, in terms of that. So I think that, you know, the, the people voting um, on these things and the people in the committee, they, they see, you know, this, this school logo and they say, oh, well, this school logo has been really good all these years. So they're probably good again. And, and I think Oklahoma State kind of got shafted in that aspect. I guess so. I mean, they had the big 12 coach of the year. I mean, if, if anyone was paying attention, they would know that OSU wasn't an eight seed. So it's just, it's laughable that Stanford wins by nine against OSU and then beats Missouri State by 27 
in the next round. So I thought that was, I thought that was funny. Uh, so Marshall, give us an update, man. What's it like? What's it been like taking over for, for Kyle Porter? Give us kind of just how, how that process played out for you and just what it's been like running PFB. You obviously did a great job as, as one of his main beat riders, but just uh, give us some insight that you're willing to share. Yeah. So uh, Kyle called me, I don't even remember what, maybe September. Um, and he said, you know, it was pretty, pretty quick off the draw. He's like, Hey, how are you doing? You know, stuff like that. And then he just kind of dropped it on me. He's like, I'm thinking about selling the website. And then my head, obviously I was, I was like, Oh, I don't have a job anymore. So that's, you know, kind of less than ideal. But then, you know, he, he mentioned, he's like, I want to sell it to you kind of laid out a, a plan of how we'd get that done. Um, and it's been, it's been rewarding in a way that, you know, it's, it's nice, you know, kind of trying to be able to help, you know, everywhere I can. But then it's also just really, it's nothing that, that I went to school for, um, having to learn new terms all the time, um, having to learn why I have to do this, why, like, why this is important. So it's been, it's been interesting. As I mentioned at the top, it's kind of the worst time. It was kind of the worst time for me to take over, but at the same time that that kind of helps me, you know, learn as much as I can, uh, as quickly as I can. But it, it's been interesting, you know, Kyle, obviously an awesome guy did an awesome job even creating this website. Um, so I'm really just trying to, uh, at this point, keep it going at a rate that, that, that Kyle would. And, you know, those are big shoes to fill. Yeah. And I, I said this to Kyle when he called me to let me know, and it, to me, it's clear that he sees a lot of himself in you. I think it's no small gesture that he sought you out to, to sell it to you. I think he, you proved you, you did an excellent job as a beat writer. And I don't, I don't think he just hands it over to just anybody. So I think that says a lot about you and, and the job that you've done with him and, and I think it's been it's been great for me. It's been seamless that since you've taken over for Kyle. So I've really enjoyed uh, your leadership, and you've it's been a, a smooth sail. Uh, so I just want to commend you, uh, commend you for that as well. So things have been good for for PFB. And uh, I had another question for you about it. I, I just I lost my train of thought now. Uh, I'll uh, I'll stop it for a second. I so I got my initial job with PFB because I was stringing for the Tulsa World at the uh, the NCAA Golf Championships that were here in Stillwater. Um, what year was that? 2018. Um, yeah, yeah it, was, it was right after I graduated and I needed a job, um, you know, cause I, j I had just graduated. So I, I walk up to Kyle and I say, Hey, you know, they, they had a uh, Hayden Barber and Luke Garza who'd kind of done my job before, before I did. And uh, Luke had just graduated. And I said, Hey, I know that, you know, like Luke's going off to, to wherever he was going. And I was like, if you need, uh, if you, you know, kind of need somebody to fill that spot, like, let me know. Um, and so it's weird that, you know, that, that little thing kind of spurred all of this. Um, it was a pretty accelerated process for where I was, you know, kind of grinding on, on little things. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I got full-time pay, which is a, a big deal for, for me, obviously. And then, then here we are three or four years later where the site's now in my control. And that's the, uh, the scariest thing that uh, has maybe ever happened to me. <laughs> Well, no, it's, it's proof that, you know, you have to seek out opportunities. And I, I go back to Stillwater some to talk to broadcasting students and, and journalism students. And that's my number one lesson is, you know, no one's going to just pick up the phone and call you out of the blue to hire you. I mean, you have to go seek out opportunities, whether that's internships, whether that's you walking up to Kyle and approaching him and, and asking for a job. I think that's the only way you're going to make things happen is you got to you create your own luck is kind of the lesson I've always talked about. I was fortunate to get a job at, at KFOR while I was still in school. I was still taking classes in Stillwater because I had interned there and 
I kind of created my own luck that when an, an opportunity presented itself, I was ready to, to seek to take it. And I think you're, you're a great example of that as well. I, I thought of my other question, and you don't have to get into too, too much depth on this if you don't want to. But obviously, the with PFB, there was a relationship there with, with OSU football that was tenuous at best. Mike Gundy has been on the record saying he doesn't believe in blogs. I don't know. You you cover so many sporting events in Stillwater. You obviously have great relationships with the administration, the media relations department. How is this situation playing out with the football program now that, that Kyle has moved on? Is, is PFB back in the door? How, I don't know how much you want to share about that. You don't have to, but I just I think it's a fair question for people that consume PFB and subscribe and everything else. Uh, yeah, so I uh... – Let's see. I got the, uh, you know, spring football obviously started uh, recently. I think there's a availability today on it. Um, but I, I kind of got that email while I was in um, Indianapolis covering, you know, Oklahoma State in the NCAA tournament. And uh, yeah, so I, you know, kind of reached out. I said, hey, does this mean, you know, because since I got the email, does this mean that, uh, that I'm back? Because um, I, you know, obviously through my years in the Ocali covered, you know, football program, even my first two years uh, with PFB, I was, allowed to availabilities but not to games which is a weird deal um and then basically you know and it just kind of got told no and <laughs> no i'm not back um you know it's still uh it's still the blog um aspect of it which uh you know to me frankly doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we do a lot of things that you know i i don't know really what defines a blog obviously it's in our in our name pistols firing blog but uh yeah so still a work in progress um for sure um, not back, not back in uh, the door there, uh, quite yet. Not back at it. <laughs> not, we are not back at it. Uh, which I don't, I, I, again, I'll, I'll speak for you. You don't have to, to say any more to get in trouble or anything, but the fact that there are other websites that are credentialed that cover OSU and frankly, don't do as good of a job as pistols firing. It just, that blows my mind. I I've never understood it. It's not as if PFB is taking has taken unnecessary shots at Mike Gundy. I mean, the entire media was criticizing Mike Gundy for various acts. We all know what happened over last summer. And, you know, Bedlam Records, you name it. I mean, the Oklahoman, any outlet worth their grain of salt has criticized Mike Gundy at some point in time. That's that's how the media works. So I I, I don't understand it. Hopefully that gets resolved. Uh, I don't know if taking the word blog out of the name even. I think that's just a crutch that that he's leaning on for his grudge against the, the side. I don't really know what it's about, but uh, hopefully that gets resolved because Marshall, you do a great job. I, I've really appreciated your leadership taking over for Kyle. And I appreciate you joining me on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a good time. Thanks for having me. Yep. No problem. That's Marshall Scott. We'll get back with you. I think Colby will be back later on Friday. So we'll get check in with him, but uh, the new era as they've called it under Mike Boynton continues. And that's been this edition of the pistols firing podcast. We'll, We'll uh, check back in with you on uh, Friday.